0: Amen, church. You can grab a seat. Thank you so much for leading us in worship as always. Man, that was awesome. Uh, thank you so much. Yeah, it was. Uh, happy Easter Sunday. Happy Resurrection Sunday. How are we doing, church? It's good? You guys excited? I'm ready. Uh, I'm, I'm pumped. Uh, this is my first uh, Easter Sunday being able to preach, uh, and I am... Uh, hopefully we won't be here for an hour, but we're, we got this. So, uh, But this is uh, Resurrection Sunday. Uh, we say this a bunch around here. Uh, we get to deliberately worship the Lord this morning in his resurrection. It's not something that we don't do every single week, but this morning we get to intentionally focus on the resurrection. So if you have your Bibles, if you don't mind, be finding your way to the book of Ezekiel. I you guys a little curveball this morning. Ezekiel chapter 37. So no, we will not be in Philippians, as disappointing that might be for some of you guys. Uh, Tyler did a great job finishing out our series in Philippians for us last week. So Philippians 37, we're going to be in verses uh, 1 through 14 to start with this morning. But this morning, we know this is the Resurrection Sunday. We're not going to spend a whole lot of time trying to do what some churches may be doing this morning, is proving that the resurrection actually happened uh, our early church fathers said that it happened. Scripture said that it happened. So we think that that is sufficient. We're going to rest in that this morning. So what that leaves us with is trying to understand why the resurrection is essential. Uh, talking about how essential the resurrection is, we saw this in Philippians. Paul says in Philippians three ten through 11, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. He thought that the resurrection was essential by any means possible. Charles Spurgeon says this as well when it comes to the resurrection. The resurrection is the cornerstone of the entire building of Christianity. It is the keystone, the arch of our salvation. So if this is essential that Paul is saying by any means possible, he wants to attain the resurrection, if a guy like Charles Spurgeon says that's the keystone, we've got to understand why the resurrection is so essential for us. So that's our question that we're going to look at our text this morning. We're actually going to be in two places, starting first here in Ezekiel, and we're going to be asking the same question, is why is the resurrection of Jesus essential for a believer? Uh, Along this journey, I think we're going to see there could be possible, numerous, endless possibilities of why the resurrection is so important. But I think we're going to primarily see two things over and over and over again in both of these texts that we're going to be in this morning. So if you're taking notes, the first thing that we're going to see is without the resurrection, we're hopelessly dead in sin. If Christ did not rise, we have no hope and we're dead in our sin. That is why it's essential. From there, we're going to see that with the resurrection, we're alive to rejoice in God. That's why this morning of Easter Sunday has been so powerful throughout the church history because it's a morning of so much joy because Christ did rise from that grave. So with that, let's go ahead and look to our text this morning in Ezekiel 37. We'll kind of give a little bit of context of why we're in Ezekiel. Ezekiel himself is a prophet. At this time, the church of uh, with the, the Israel becoming the true church um, is in captivity because of their apostasy, because of their idolatry of falling away. And Ezekiel is a prophet there encouraging these people uh, as they're exiled in captivity in Babylon. This is a time of great hopelessness and despair for these people as they've been taken away in slavery and in captivity. And then to that, we'll read, starting in verse one, Ezekiel says this, the hand of the Lord was upon me and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay the sinews upon you and cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you, and you shall live. And you shall know that I am the Lord. So Ezekiel says in verse 7, So I prophesied as I was commanded. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up, and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. So Jesus, as we approach your word this morning, maybe even something from the Old Testament that may be seemingly hard to understand. That God, we come in on this Resurrection Sunday knowing that you resurrected, knowing that we maybe, if we've grown up in church, have heard the same sermon Easter after Easter and the great news of how the disciples came to your tomb, it was empty. But this morning, God, I pray that through your word that your resurrection would fall on us Knew that we would understand what the resurrection not only meant just as a story and a narrative for you, but what those implications are for us. So God, we need you to breathe life into us as you did the moment you saved us. God, we're dependent on you this morning. Would you teach us what you want us to know? God, would you give me the words to boldly proclaim your truth that you are alone Worthy of all of our praise, because you did rise. And as you rise, you resurrect us as well. So it's in your name that we pray and ask all these things. Amen. So as we can see in the text here this morning, there is a sense of hopelessness that these bones are laying out on the top of the surface. They're not even buried. This is a sign of a cursed people in Jewish culture, that they had to, according to their law, be buried. So what we're seeing even symbolically here, that there was no hope, that these bones were very dry. That what we're seeing here, what this is described as, is that... It's a vision of the Lord. This is not an event that the the Lord has taken a prophet out, and he's showing them symbolically, the people of Israel, because of their sin, because of them leaving the side of the Lord and not obeying, that they are hopeless. Because we see this all throughout, that there's this dried up, there's no breath in them. And then we get to see that what is going to happen in here is that the Lord is going to bring them to life. That's why we see things in that text when it says the Spirit or the wind or the breath; those are all symbolic of the Holy Spirit of the Lord's work, the Lord bringing them to life. And so, when we see that word even in there as prophesy, that it's the Lord commanding Ezekiel what to say to bring these bones to life. Are we not before Christ in that same? place. Dry, hopeless, have no hope for eternity. The reason why we can have hope as we come in this room this morning is because God did breathe that life into us. In his resurrection, he breathed life into his body. So why is the resurrection essential for a believer? Because without without it, we're hopelessly dead in our sin, just like those dry bones. That's why in 1 Corinthians 15, 17 through 19, we get to see this hopelessness that Paul describes if we don't have that breath of life of God breathing in us and resurrecting us from our dead sin. Paul says, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished, If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are the most people to be pitied. If Christ did not rise from the grave, are we not hopeless? Because if he did not rise, we will not rise. If he did not resurrect, if he did not live that perfect life that we never could and rose from the grave and imputed to us his life of righteousness, we are indeed hopeless We have no hope as a believer if Christ did not rise, and this is why we celebrate so much on Easter Sunday, because indeed, he has risen. But it's even worse than that. It's not just hopelessness. It is that we are dead without the resurrection, without Christ, we are dead. That's why Jesus even himself says in the gospel of Matthew, Matthew 23, 27 through 28, he's talking to the Pharisees here. He says, Woe to you, scribe and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but you are full of hypocrisy. That outwardly we may look like we have it together. We may go to church. We may dress the part. We may speak as if though we have the part, but if we are like these Pharisees, inwardly Jesus is comparing us to dead, dry bones, like the bones that are laying on the valley there in Ezekiel, that we are dead and we have no hope whatsoever apart from Christ. That this is one of the reasons why Easter Sunday, why every single Sunday is so joyful in the Lord, because we were hopeless, because we had no hope. So Christian, this morning I'm asking you the question, are you hopeless? feeling hopeless, like you're in the valley of dry bones, that you in this room this morning are weighed down, you're burdensome, you feel as if though you have no hope, that all of your life is sapped from you, and you are laying in that valley with the sun scorching down on you, and you feel like you need a revival. If that is you, let me encourage you, let me encourage you, that is not you, you have been raised with Christ if you are indeed saved a son and daughter of the king he as he died and was buried that's why we symbolically baptize we were buried with Christ in baptism but he rose and when he rose he rose us and set him with us set us with himself in the heavenly places that we are no longer those dry bones We're no longer slaves to sin. It's as if though we have spiritual amnesia and we hear someone's name. I might shake someone's hand in this room and immediately forget their name. Do we do the same thing with Christ when he's raised us and set us with him in the heavenly places and calls us sons and daughters and conquerors and co-heirs and ambassadors for Christ, ministers of reconciliation, and then we look at ourselves and we say we are those dry bones. I have no hope. I'm dead. I don't know what to do. I don't feel like I can press on. That is not who we are. Rise as Christ rose You are raised with him in the heavenly places. Walk into your identity as Christ, as one that was purchased with a price. This is who we are. Because you see that what Christ did on the cross for us, secured for us our eternity. Deuteronomy 21, 22 through 23 says this. And if a man has committed a crime punishable by death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree. His body shall, remain, shall not remain there all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day. For a hanged man is cursed by God. You shall not defile your land, the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. Is this not foreshadowing to the cross? As Christ was hung on a tree and left there, In becoming a curse for us? Was not those bones in the Dry Valley symbolic of the hopelessness there is if we are under the curse of sin? But praise be to God that he took our place, that he lived the life we couldn't, that his ministry of reconciliation, he became sin and died in our place and became a curse for us, that we can rise with him one day. That's why the first thing we see, why the resurrection is essential for a believer, is without it we're hopelessly dead in sin. The second thing is with it we're alive to rejoice in God. Look back to Scripture here with me in Ezekiel, starting in verse 12. We get to see these dry bones come alive. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves. O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord. When I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land, then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. Has he not done this? Did he not do this for Israel? How often, when the Lord speaks, does he not say that he will do this, that he will accomplish this, that it is him, that we as his people, God himself wrapped himself in human flesh in the incarnation and poured out his perfect holy life, ransoming you and me if we are indeed sons and daughters of the king, his people. Because you see that this was in the Old Testament where Christ uh, had not yet come incarnate, but God is making this promise to his children in Israel. And we see that in the New Testament, that we as the church, as believers, are the culmination of the true Israel, as the Jewish people who did not come to know Christ as their Messiah had fallen away, that we as the church symbolically stand as the true Israel. But just as we read there, as how the Lord breathed life into him, we get to see that when we are reborn into Christ, we were born first of our mother, but in our rebirth, that we had life breathed into us. This is Ezekiel hearkening all the way back to the creation narrative of the first time that God created man. In Genesis 2-7, after God created man, he says, Moses says this of the Lord, then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. We get to see that's how we came into being, that the Spirit of God was breathed into us, and in our coming alive and resurrecting from our dead trespasses and sin, that God breathed his Spirit into us again. The moment that we were brought to life in our first Adam, that the true and the better Adam, Christ, as he poured out his life, sent the Spirit as a seal of a promise that we are indeed his children and breathed life into us again. So why is the resurrection essential for a believer? Because with it, we're alive to rejoice in God. So first thing we see is that we're, alive. Imagine those bones. If they were hopeless, but they had life breathed into them and they came together, how much joy there had to be for they were dead and they were hopeless. How much joy do we have the moment that we believe in Christ the first time as the great hymnist would say, what joy filled my heart the hour I first believed that the Spirit breathed life into us. That's why Paul says in Romans 6, 11, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. We saw in that hopelessness that we were dead in our sin. Now with Christ, we are dead to that sin and we are alive to God. If you look back at verse 11, we get to see this hopelessness that we see there in the valley. These bones said, Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, Our bones are dried up, and our hope is lost. Our hope is lost. But if we're alive to God, what must we have? If our hope was lost, we must now have hope. That's why in 1 Peter 1-3, through Peter says it this way, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is worshiping, he is rejoicing, he is saying, Blessed be the God and our Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living Hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Our hope was lost previous to Christ. Like those bones had no hope, but in Christ we have hope. We have been born again to a living hope, not because of our own self-effort, but as the Spirit breathed, as Ezekiel was commanded to speak, as the Spirit has caused us to be born again, this is why we rejoice so we rejoice is the second thing if we're not only just alive we rejoice jesus commands us to do this in a parable when we go when we pass from death to life the prodigal son if you've been in and around church you've probably heard the story but i quickly pass over the last verse in that context where in luke 15:32 the father is talking in pleading with the older son to come in and rejoice. And he says this to him, it is fitting to celebrate and be glad for this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. We once were lost and now we are found. We once were dead, but now we are alive. So Christian, I'm asking you the question this morning, Do you know you have been resurrected like those dry bones? If you know that, you have all the reason to rejoice in the world. Everything in your life is working together for your good and God's glory. You have been resurrected, not as just as a feeble bones that are just holding together barely, but those sinews attached to sinews and the bone attached to bone and skin attached to skin. You are no longer weak and weary and dry in a valley. You are a conqueror. You are a co-heir. You have been resurrected. This is what we celebrate on Resurrection Sunday, that the resurrection is not about us, it's about God and his glory, but what he purchases for us as his children and daughters is a life, not just something to hold on to and to sit down and just ride it out into eternity, but we have been given life to live and to go and to share this good news. That's why we don't hide our scars of our sin as shame, but we openly share it. Because in that we say we were dead, but now we are alive. Is that not what Christ did as he resurrected? He did not hide his scars when Thomas doubted. He said, here are the holes in my hand. Touch them. I was dead, but now I am alive. Our scars of our sin and our shame are a testimony not to our filthiness, but to the righteousness of the Father God on high. Bear them with all glory. This is who we are as sons and daughters of the king. Maybe a picture that will help you of this is of my wife. She has a a love for plants. Uh, I think she got that from my mom that's sitting in the back, but she doesn't want to go and buy plants that are full price, um, which I'm very thankful for, so thank you. Um, But she goes to Lowe's, and hopefully no one from those listens to this, but there's a plant hospital there, is what they call it, where plants that are almost dead, they're going to throw out. And so she'll go and she'll buy plants super, super cheap and then nurse them back to life. Um, she intentionally tries to find the cheapest plant that she can nurse back to life. But let us remember that Christ didn't go in looking for something halfway dead, halfway alive. We were fully dead in our trespasses and sin. And he went and sought us out. And he didn't pay half price. He paid the full price. Bearing the wrath of God on the cross, poured out his life and paid it all. That is the story of who we are as children of the king. And just as the spirits had that life breathed into them, that we get to see that it brings this new life of freedom. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians three seventeen, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. This is the life that we've been freed up to live. We get to see at the tail end of Ezekiel 37, what we read this morning, verse 14, he makes a promise that he will put his Spirit into his people. He says, and I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord, and I have spoken, and I will do it. Previous to that in verse 13, he says, when he opens up their graves. So let's see a fulfillment of that promise. If God is a promise maker, is he not a promise keeper? Uh, if you want to be finding your way to John 11, we're going to see a fulfillment of this very promise. John 11, 23 through 44. John 11, 23 through 44. So, giving a little bit of context around this passage here, Jesus uh, has come to Bethany. Bethany is a town about two miles outside of Jerusalem. Uh, He is gone there because one of his best friends, Lazarus, has died. And he is going to see uh, and mourn and weep alongside of them. Lazarus' sister Martha is there. uh, And also, just in your mind, it's not only just Jesus, the disciples, and Martha, Lazarus' sister, but also all the townspeople culturally at this time, would have mourned alongside of them at the death of Lazarus. So setting that scene, this is all who's there. So let's pick up in verse 23, and we'll see what Jesus says. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. So you see that she has this confidence that Lazarus will rise again. But I love what Jesus says to her here. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. This I am the resurrection, in the Gospel of John, there's seven I am statements. Those two words, I am, if you remember back to Exodus, that's the name that the Lord gives himself. The I am will send you Moses. So Jesus is identifying himself as God here. He is saying, I am the resurrection. I, God, have the power to resurrect. What we'll see, not only at just the last resurrection, but he goes on to say in verse 26, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. She fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. I love that Christ is showing himself not just to be a miracle worker, but a faithful high priest to weep alongside of us. And he said, Where have you laid him? they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could he, not he who opened the eyes of the blind, also kept this man from dying? See this hopelessness yet again in death. This hopelessness of the, the sister of Lazarus crying. The townspeople alongside mourning at this death. And Jesus himself, although he knows what he is about to do, weeps alongside. For we as the church, are we so guilty of seeing those outside the body of Christ, dead in their trespasses and sin, and just are okay with that theological knowledge that we don't stop to weep as they are dead? Would we take a lesson from Christ and weep alongside. Because you see, they are truly hopeless. Again, I ask us the question, why is it essential the resurrection for us as a believer? Because without it, we're hopelessly dead in sin. We're hopeless. We get to see that there with Lazarus. They had no hope. He had been dead for four days. That's why for us, Paul Washer has this quote, it's talking about this hopelessness if we're indeed not resurrected spiritually from our death. It says Jesus Christ taught, the prophets taught, the apostles taught this, that apart from the grace of God revealed in Jesus Christ our Lord, the only thing left for you is the wrath, the fierce anger of God because of your rebellion and sin. And that is not a fun message to hear on Resurrection Sunday, but it is the truth. We should feel the weight of that. We should feel hopeless because of that. That is our natural state of man, apart from the hope of God in Jesus Christ and the faith that we must have in his sacrifice on the cross because you see that it's not just hopeless, but again, it is dead. That is who we are. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, and you were dead in the trespasses and sin and once you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. You see that it's not that we are just in some neutral state not doing good, as if though doing good could ever satisfy the holiness that's demanded by God. But the hopelessness and the deadness that we have is that we were in glad rebellion, that we were willfully ignorant, running after the course of this world, And talking about this dead in our trespasses and children of wrath, John Piper says this in his commentary on Ephesians. The point of both of these images of conversion is that it took a miracle like the resurrection or creation to give us spiritual life. It was non-existent. and had to be created. We were dead and had to be raised. So we weren't just in the doghouse with God. We were really in the morgue. That is where we were apart from Christ. That's where those dry bones were. That's where Lazarus is currently in the story lying, in the morgue, cursed. So, Christian, I'm asking you this morning... If you're in Christ, that is not where you are, as we have already said. So I ask you, are you actively trying to crawl back into your tomb as you're daily giving in to the sinful desires that are haunting and troubling you? What is it that you have already been forgiven for, that you have been freed from, that you are still actively giving life to? Is it greed? Is it gluttony? Is it lust? Is it pride? What is it that you are actively choosing daily, that you are climbing back into the very crypt, into the morgue, into the mausoleum, into the grave from which you were raised? You've been set free. That's why Paul says in Galatians 5.1, For freedom you have been set free. Stand firm thus and do not return to a yoke of slavery. Christ in Romans 6, as Paul lists out, that we were once enslaved to our sin, but praise be to God that we have been Become slaves to righteousness. A good slave is a good slave owner like Christ is going to lead us to righteousness. And when he has purchased us with a price, his blood, he is leading us into life and life everlasting. He is pulling us from that grave and he is pulling us to eternity. What is it that you were actively giving life to? Do you not remember that you're dead to it. Consider yourself dead to sin, alive to God. Proverbs would say it this way. Might be a little depictive for a Sunday morning, but it's from Scripture. And talking about this cycle that we go over and over again, going back to our sin and repenting and saying, No, I know you saved me from that, going back to that sin and saying, I know you saved me from that. Proverbs says, as a dog returns to his vomit, so is a man who repeats his folly. This is not to lay a yoke of heaviness on your shoulder, but it's to remind you that you have been set free. Why eat at a kiddie table, like you might have done as a little kid on Easter or Christmas when just eating this little sloppy little oatmeal food when you've been invited to the table to eat in the delightest and delight yourself in the richest of affair. It's what Christ says uh, through Isaiah and Isaiah 55. Come all who are hungry, all who thirst. Come to the table who have no money to buy food or bread. Why labor which does not satisfy? You know, I know that those things that we return to never satisfy. Only Christ does. And that's why this Resurrection Sunday is so important because it is not about how good you are. You will continuously do that over the course of your life. Sanctification, becoming more like Christ, is a process, a daily grind, a daily obedience in a one direction by which you will fall short. But why the resurrection is so important is because with the resurrection, you have been given Christ's perfection in his life. But we still press forward in obedience. So we get to see this hopelessness in this tomb. But we press forward in this story because there is life coming. So, back in John here, picking up in verse 38, then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen straps, and his face wrapped with cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. What joy there had to be at the moment that Lazarus came out of the tomb, a man that had been dead for four years. Imagine if that was your spouse. Imagine if that was your daughter, your brother, your child, your aunt, your uncle that had died and that was dead for four days and you've been weeping and weeping with no hope. But Christ steps into the frame and with a word brings death to life. This is our story. That Christ came in and spoke life into Lazarus as he spoke life into us the moment he saved us. And I love the tail end of that in verse 44 where Jesus tells them, "Unbind him and let him go. It was not the disciples that he was telling this to. It was not Jesus himself who went up and unbound him But as God saves us, he graciously allows us as children to play a part in the process of this releasing from sin. Christ died on the cross for all of sin, for all of eternity. But is that not the story of discipleship in this room? As you may be one step ahead of someone else, you invest and pour the gospel into someone's life, and in so doing, you help them unwind a little bit more of that bandage that is from their old, dead life. That Christ allows us to play a part in this is so beautiful. This is why we're called into covenant partnership as the church, because we are the church. If we are the hope of the world bringing the gospel, Christ is no longer here. He uses us. He didn't have to. He didn't have to use the disciples or the the people of the town there, just like he doesn't have to use us, but he chooses to do so. Because he, just like what we have little kids, and you they want to help with everything that you're doing, maybe you're still that little kid and you want to help with everything and it's actually more painstaking to allow them to help, you could do it better yourself. Christ allows us to play a part in our sin and our broken and our mess, because God is ultimately glorified by using broken vessels like us. I love, love that. So again, I finally ask us the question: Why is the resurrection essential for a believer? Because with it, we're alive to rejoice in God. So that's why we paused just for a second. If you want to flip back up to John eleven twenty five through twenty six, when Jesus makes this "I am" statement, Jesus says: Jesus said to her, "I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live." Although we do experience the pangs of death here on this earth, because Christ resurrected, we will be with him in eternity. That's why Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. We talked about that hopelessness, the death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We have this life. And this life, again, leads us to rejoice that's why one of my favorite parts of scripture, when Paul is talking about the resurrection to the church at Corinth, he says this in 1 Corinthians 15, 54 through 55. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, it's talking about our, our, our broken bodies that are dying, decaying, puts on the imperishable, When the mortal puts on the immortality. We're mortal, we die. One day we will not in Christ. Then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Christ removed the sting of death on the cross because sin no longer has dominion over us. On the cross, he purchased our justification. The penalty of sin paid. And his resurrection and sending through his spirit as he sanctifies us, we are freed from the dominion and power over us of sin. And one day as we resurrect again and we sing alongside that, death, where is your sting? And we reach eternity and there is no more death. There is no more sorrow. We will be fully glorified and we will be freed from the presence of sin for all eternity. Church, amen. That is what we're called to. This is our life. We are undefeatable because of Christ. We are free to rejoice in our Father. Christian, do you realize you've been resurrected like Lazarus? Have you heard your father say, as he said to Lazarus, come out, Lazarus, Has he said, come out, Tyler, come out, Clinton, come out, Jordan, come out, Dean, come out, Kyle, come out of your tomb, I have resurrected you. Has Christ said that to you? If he has, you will rejoice for all eternity. This is our life as the redeemed. How beautiful. How remarkable. This is our Savior's work that he planned from eternity past and accomplished on Calvary and is purchasing for us an eternity future. That we have a Savior that was born of a virgin wrapped in human flesh that was Truly man and truly God. He lived the perfect life according to the law. He did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. In his perfection, he came and bore our sins on Calvary. That when, although we were crimson in our sin, he will make us white as snow. And he paid that penalty. And in his death, he was in the grave for three days and he truly resurrected with resurrection power in his bones, saving us from the penalty of our sin, the very thing that has held us captive. And he did ascend into heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father, symbolically showing that his work is finished. As he said on the cross, it is finished. And he is now a faithful high priest sitting, living to make intercession for us as he did there, as he wept alongside of us. Nothing has changed there. And he has all power and all role and all dominion and all authority. So whatever it is in your life you're feeling you need a resurrection from, if you are not in Christ and you have not understood this gospel, that is the power that Christ will freely give to you if he opens your heart to believe. Because he not only rose, but he has an imminent return, and in the meantime, He has not left us as orphans. He has sent His Spirit that is going to lead and guide us into all truth and into all righteousness, and will bring to our mind all the things that He has taught us, and He will send us out on mission that Sunday gatherings are a springboard into community for the rest of the week to share this very message that we're sharing right Now, this is the gospel. In this you rejoice. You were once dead, but now you are alive. You once were hopeless, but now you have a reason to rejoice. Stand firm. If you have never heard this message from this book preached in this way, your first step is to heed the Spirit's call. Indeed, if he is calling, if he is saying and calling you by name and saying your name, Kyle, come out. He stands at the door and knocks, and he will kick that door open for his righteousness and his glory. All you need to do is fall at the foot of the cross and say, I don't deserve it, but praise be to God you poured out your blood. If that is you this morning, we would love to celebrate with you. We would love to rejoice. As God brought us from death to life, we would love to take a part in maybe unrolling just a little bit of that bandage of your death cloths off you this morning. Come find me, Bailey or Tyler. We would love to celebrate with you. If you are indeed in Christ this morning, your first step is when Christ tells you to come out come out, don't crawl back in your tomb. If you've already been set free, stand firm and know, as we studied in Philippians, Philippians 1.6, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. As Christ resurrected and ascended, he will one day come again. And in the meantime, rest on him to make you more like him. Don't return to that yoke of slavery. So again, I ask you, church, why is the resurrection essential for a believer? It's a matter of life and death. Father, thank you for this church. Thank you for your resurrection. Thank you that you have breathed your life into us, that we were once dead and hopeless but now we are alive to rejoice evermore. God, I pray that we would be honest with ourselves in this room this morning. There is no in between. We are either alive and rejoicing in you or we are dead and hopeless. And I pray as your spirit breathe life into Adam, our first father, and that you breathe life into us the moment you regenerated our hearts, that you would do the same this morning. For those of us that are in Christ, that we would always remember this truth. This is not just an Easter Sunday truth. This is the hope that we carry day by day. So God, I pray that we would sing the song of the redeemed, that we would not be able to contain this hope that you have knit up into our bones but that you would be glorified in our worship, not just through the songs we sing, but even more so, as you say in your word, that our lives are a living sacrifice, a reasonable act of worship, when we go out and can't help but share this good news. It's in your name we pray. Amen.